the gospel message always requires a response. And I believe as we listen to God's word today, uh, there'll come a point as you allow God's spirit to speak to you that there will be some response. There will be something that God calls for you to do. And the way God works, it'll be different for different people. Uh, what God may call for some will not be what he calls for others. But I believe there will be a response today. Um, at, the, at the last part of the, the message this morning, I'm going to ask you to write down four things um, to pass on your faith to the next generation. And I want you to, I'd like you to write those things down. And so you can take your bulletin if you have it, or you can find another piece of paper and write those things down. Um, that'll be at the end of the message. Four things uh, to help us pass down our faith. And those were things that I thought about and prayed about this week. And I thought, what is it specifically that uh, we do? What do we need to do to pass down our faith? I uh, also want you to know that uh, during the offering today, uh, we have a special presentation for our mothers from our children. Um, you'll want to stay for the offering. You won't want to miss that. Um, if you turn in your Bibles this morning to the book of Amos, we're going to be in chapter 5. Um, we've been studying Amos for a number of weeks now, and there has been one theme that I have set before you to tie all these messages together and it is this that our spiritual vitality is dependent upon times of renewal our spiritual vitality is dependent upon times of renewal for us to stay where we need to be in our walk with the Lord it requires that at times we uh, evaluate and we make adjustments so that uh, we don't tend to allow our hearts to drift away from God. That is the tendency in my life and in your life that if we just coast, our hearts will grow cold. It's true in a marriage. It's true in our relationship with the Lord, we have to constantly be putting in energy and evaluating and, and making adjustments in our spiritual lives. That's what was happening in Amos's day. That's the reason that God sends the prophet as a wake-up call, uh, because the people, really for several generations, had allowed their hearts to drift away from God. And that's really what I want to talk about today because um, you may be sitting there today and you may say, well, you know, my spiritual walk is my spiritual walk and it's just about me and God and doesn't really affect anybody else. It's not true. Your spiritual life affects those around you. And if you're a mom or a dad or a grandparent today, I specifically want to apply this to say your spiritual life affects the generations that come before you. I had this thought when I, early on when I was studying Amos and formulating all of this that, that my life, my spiritual life matters to those around me. And if for no other reason, now for sure, there's a lot of benefit for me to walk with the Lord. But there is also great benefit to those around me on the positive side, but on the negative side, when I allow the bar to lower, it affects those that are around me and that I influence in their life. And what happened in Amos' day, and I believe is typical in our life, when the bar is lowered in one generation, then the next generation it lowers and it lowers, and it lowers, and all of a sudden it gets to the point where God says, no, there's got to be a voice. 
There's got to be a wake-up call because the people have not realized how far they have allowed their hearts to drift from God. I want, you to, I want you to think about that today in your own life. My life matters. My spiritual life matters to those around me. Amos came to raise the bar. Your pastor is here as the spiritual leader of this church to make sure the bar stays up here. God's challenge in my life is, Daryl Smith, you would be the dad, you would be the parent, the grandparent, the Papa D, that your family needs you to be. Uh, and so my challenge in all these messages and probably this whole year and probably every sermon I preach is, no, we're going to set the bar. Because the tendency is the bar tends to get lowered and we get slack. It was true in Amos' day. Um, that is the reason that my challenge, uh, the, the title of these messages is Get Real, Get Right. We have to be, we have to get real to acknowledge where we are spiritually and then we need to make the adjustments in our life. We need to get right. This is the theme throughout Amos, and for sure it is the theme of what he says in Amos 5, verses 4. And we're going to do verses chapter 5 of Amos, verses 4 through 15. But I kind of want to hit that quick, okay? I kind of want to make some points, and then I want to talk about how do we apply that very specifically in our lives. In verse 4... It says, for thus says the Lord to the house of Israel, seek me and live. In fact, we're going to look at the rest of these verses, but that's really what I want you to grasp this morning. If there's just one verse, if there's just one thought, it is this challenge that God says to the people, seek me and live. And I want us to kind of understand, even when we look at those other verses of what he was talking about there, um, one of the things I notice about God saying this, I mean, obviously it says in the first part of that verse that this is what God said. He says, seek me. That is a very personal statement. Um, the Christian life is to be a personal relationship with God. God said, I, I want you to seek me. He puts it in very personal terms. In fact, that's, that's the first person. Now later, in another verse, he's going to say, he's going to say through the prophet, seek the Lord. But God doesn't say that here. God, in a very personal way, says, no, seek. The challenge is, you seek me. Because get down to it, the Christian life is personal, and it's very relational. God is the object of what we seek not an experience, not, not some kind of uh, outward form of righteousness. We are pursuing a person. Moms, dads, grandparents, that has to be the essence of the Christian life. It is the pursuit of a person. And that person is the creator of the universe. It's very personal. God is the object of that pursuit, and so it is relational. The word seek denotes a desire and an effort. And God summarizes, I think this is really at the very center of all of Amos, when God says, seek me. There are scriptures throughout the Old Testament in which God says seek the or it either says seek me or seek the Lord and I, I looked at those this week and there were a couple there were two themes that are coupled with that God would say in the scripture seek my face to look someone in the face and to know their face is to know the person God said no I want us to be face to face and so invariably you'd see uh, Psalm 27, 8, if you just want to write down a reference. God says, seek my face. Second Chronicles 7, 14 also says that. 
But the other thing that I saw throughout those scriptures was God said, I want you to seek me with all your heart. I want all of you. I think Deuteronomy 4.29 is an illustration of that. You can write that down and look at that. Seek my face. Seek me with all your heart. What God challenges the people with here is more than the practice of religion. It's more about religion. It's more than religious activity. It's more than just lip service or ritual. It is about a personal relationship with God as the object in which we are seeking Him more than anything else. Note to mom and dads and grandparents, and this is, this is, this is huge. That's what your family needs, is someone who is pursuing God. What I'm saying to you, it will not be enough for your family to practice religion. It won't be enough. You, you won't pass down faith. I, I know it can happen in God but through his grace. But if you, if you want to give your kids the greatest opportunity to live the life that God has called them to, you've got to live out a faith that is relational and is real and is pursuing God on a daily basis. Uh, what I'm suggesting today in the scripture challenges is that is more than the practice of religion. Amos says that, or God says that in verses 5 and 6. He says, do not seek Bethel, which was a, a shrine where they went to practice religion, nor enter Gilgal, another holy place where they went without a hard experience with God, nor pass over to Beersheba, which would have been 50 miles to the south. They, the, the thought is here that they went even to Beersheba in the furthest part of this some kind of holy shrine, seeking some kind of religious experience or a pilgrimage to say, oh, I'm, I'm a good person, I'm doing this for God. But their hearts were not with him. They were practicing religion. He says, because all those things will end, for Gilgal shall surely go into captivity and Bethel shall come to nothing you won't pass down your faith through the practice of religion all of that will end he says in verse 6 seek the Lord and live lest he break out like fire in the house of Joseph and devour it with no one to quench it in Bethel He says in verse 7 that your unrighteousness bears out that it's just the practice of religion and not a heartfelt faith. He says in verse 7, and this is one of the themes about unrighteousness or justice in the book of Amos, he says, you who turn justice to wormwood. Justice ought to be sweet, but worm, wormwood is something that is bitter. He said, you've turned justice what is right into something that is sour, is bitter to the mouth. Justice should have been sweet. And lay righteousness to rest in the earth that righteousness should have been stood, but you have laid it in the dirt. Why do we seek God? He says in verses 8 and 9, because he is the omnipotent creator of everything else that the pagans worship. He made the constellations, he says in verse 8. He made Pleiades and Orion, and I don't know that I actually know how to pronounce those words, but anyhow, you can correct me later. He made Pleiades and Orion, the constellations, think about it, that our God is so powerful that he could speak the constellations into existence. And he turns the shadow of death or darkness into morning. He turns darkness into light. He makes the day dark as night. He, he calls for the rain. He calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out on the face of the earth. 
the Lord, and the word Lord there, anytime in the Old Testament you see Lord in all caps, it is the personal covenant name for God, Yahweh. And so it's not generic God, it is Yahweh is his name. It is the personal name, the, the great I am. Not only that, but he, 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 he dictates the rise and fall of kingdoms and cities. Verse 9, he reigns ruin upon the strong so that fury comes upon the fortress. We are to seek God because he is the omnipotent creator of the world. Why would we seek anything else? The pagans worshipped gods who apparently controlled the rain and the light and the darkness and all of those things and the rise and fall of kingdoms, but God is the one who is sovereign over all of that. He describes the inconsistencies of their life in verses 10 through 13. Wow, these are just, I don't know if you just, I know we don't have a lot of time this morning, but if you just go back and look at these. It says in verse 10, this, this, is, this is where they were that this was part of the wake-up call that, that Amos is going, no, you don't even see the life because it, is, it has been passed down generation to generation and the, the changes have been slow and you don't even see it. It is unbelievable where you've gotten to as God's covenant people. This is what's typical, he says in verse 10. They hate the one who rebukes in the gate. The gate was the ancient courtroom. Uh, city gates or the king's gates, even as we've been studying in Esther. It was where the elders and the judges sat and people would come with their, their causes. Someone who was being oppressed and abused or somebody hadn't done them right. They came there for justice. But he says here that in this day it is becomes such that they hate the one who rebukes in the gate. The one that says, that's not right. They shout him down. You just need to be quiet. You don't need to bring that up. He says it in another way. And they abhor the one who speaks uprightly. The one who stands for truth is the one who is shouted down. Verse 11, therefore, because you tread down the poor and take grain taxes from them, you abuse the poor. Uh, you charge them for farming on your land, but you extract so much uh, to line your own pockets and to fill your own pockets, and they live in poverty. You're not doing the right thing to your brothers. Though you have built houses of hewn stones, and hewn stones, well, today it would be bricks, a brick house. You've built fancy homes from the money that you have taken from those that work for you. You haven't done them right. He says, yet you, you shall not dwell in them. You have planted pleasant vineyards from the money that you've gotten from people unrighteously, but you shall not drink wine from them. He says in verse 12, for I know your manifold transgressions and your mighty sins afflicting the just and taking bribes, diverting the poor from justice at the gates. This is a theme throughout Amos, and we, we, we just touch on it this morning, but you realize they, the people, God's people, lived in covenant relationship in the Old Testament, said there were ways that you were to treat your brothers and your sisters, and there was what was right and what God called for, and he said, you haven't been living that out. But you've been exploiting people and you've been accumulating wealth through your exploitation of these other people. And you don't even see it. Verse 13. Therefore the prudent keep silent at that time, for it is an evil time. He says if you really just want to be prudent, it's better just to keep your mouth closed instead of standing, standing up and saying, that's not right. Wow. What a statement of where they were. That really the smart thing is just not to say anything because saying the right thing is just going to get you in trouble. But that was Amos' day. I'm joking. 
He concludes in verses 14 and 15, coming back to his theme that he started with. And he says, in response to that, the inconsistencies of their life, the ways that their lives have not lined up. He says that their only hope is lining up their life with God. Seek good and not evil that you may live so that the Lord of hosts will be with you. One of the things I love about Amos is his sarcasm. There's just a few things. (laughs) This next statement, as you have spoken. He says, seek good, not evil, that you may live so that the Lord of hosts may be with you just like you said. You know what they were saying? Oh, no, we're the covenant people of God. Nothing's going to happen with us. God's obligated to bless us. God going, no, you just don't understand. You don't understand. You always, you presumed upon God's presence always being with you. But if you don't seek good, if you don't line up your life with God, you cannot presume upon that. It says in verse 15, hate evil, love good, establish justice in the gate. It may be that the Lord God of hosts will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. Quite honestly, there's not a lot of hope in the book of Amos. But there are a few verses, and this is one of them. What he's saying is your only hope is that if today you would line your life up with God's standards, you'd get real, you'd get right. And it may be that God would take pity upon you and would not bring his judgment on you for the life that you lived, that he would be gracious to you. And actually, he doesn't say to all of you, but he says to a remnant, to a small portion of you, maybe if you get it right, if you hate evil and do good, that God will be gracious to at least a remnant of you, of his people. All through these verses, Amos challenges the people that their faith must be more than the practice of religion. It must be a real pursuit of a relationship with God. That's it. You can't just practice religion. It's got to be the pursuit of a relationship with God. It's got to be real. And when it's real, when you seek me and live, says the Lord, then you will seek the Lord and you will do right. It will flow out of that and you will hate evil. And it may be that God would be gracious to at least a remnant. That's really my challenge on Mother's Day for moms, for dads, uh, for grandparents, is that our spiritual vitality would be such that it would raise the bar in our children's and our grandchildren's life because it's, it's something real. It's not simply the practice of religion. And so I, wanna, I thought about this. I wanted to leave you with four things. This is where you begin to take notes if you haven't. I want you to write down these four things that I believe are at least four things. They're keys. How do I make sure that I pass down my faith? How do I make sure that it's more than just the practice of religion, that it is me pursuing a relationship with God? Four things. The first thing is tell your story. Um, We see this in the Old Testament so many times that uh, God will say, when your children come upon this pile of stones, that was Gilgal, and in the years to come, they say, Mom and Dad, what do these stones mean? You will say to them, and he tells them what to say. You tell your children what God has done in the past. That's part of your story. Part of your story is your salvation story. 
Your children need to know that mama and daddy and papa D weren't always Christians. They used to be a hothead and a liar and they were lost and they were, they were doomed. <laughs> but by the grace of God, Jesus came to me and made himself known to me. You need to tell the story. I know, I understand. We have images. I have images of my Paul Paul Roberts and we're thinking, we've already heard this story today, <laughs> five minutes ago. The older you get, repetition's not bad. And when you're a little person, apparently it needs to be repeated. And what I'm telling you is you tell the stories of where you've been, what God's brought you through. You tell those family stories. We've had times with our kids. Sometimes I think Madison's come over to the house and she says, Papa D, what's for supper? And I said, well, funny you ask because when I was 10 years of age, no, and it goes in 20 minutes and she's going, isn't supper cold in the kitchen now, Papa D? You know, she'll ask some question about something about my parents or grandparents or something and I'll just kind of unload her, load on her and so she doesn't do that anymore. But anyhow, it's like, hmm, Okay. But I'm serious. I believe to pass on your faith, your kids need to hear you tell your story of what God has done and what God has brought you through. I've had these conversations with some of my kids that somehow they thought that somehow mom and dad were born with halos and everything in life went perfectly well because they were kids and they were kind of oblivious to this. But there's been some difficulties that they could not even grasp until they were adults, but when they're adults, you sit them down and you tell them the story again, and they can begin to put it in context. Life has not always been the way it is now because it used to be like this, and there's been some hard days, and there's been some difficulties. And I tell you, part of passing on your faith, you need to tell your story. And they'll roll their eyes, that's all right. And they'll say they've already heard the story, but that's what the Hebrews did, is they would tell the stories of what God had done so that they would never forget where we had been and what God brought us through by his grace. Amen? Amen. Second thing in passing down your faith, pray together. Pray together. Yes. Pray at meals. <laughs> we'll circle up today and Byron at his house will say, Dad, why don't you lead us in prayer? <laughs> it's, it's sort of a joke. But anyhow, apparently preachers get paid to pray. Yeah, anyhow, that's not here. So have a routine of prayer, yes. Pray at meal times, bedtime. I don't know, I prayed with my kids before they left for school. Not every day, but some days. And that's all good. You ought to have a routine of prayer. But let me tell you, you also need to pray in times of crisis. And your kids need to see that. When you get the phone call and it's not good news, something's going on. And the kids know it because you're going to be talking about it. Before you talk to everybody else about it, talk to God about it. Teach your kids, this is what we do, is we talk to God about it. Let me tell you, what your kids need to hear from you is that you have a real relationship with a real God that you talk to without ceasing all day long. So regardless of what comes up or what's going on, I'm talking to God. And then when the crisis time comes, then you say, you've you got to hold hands when you pray as a family. It's not in the Bible, but Brother Daryl's just telling you, you've got to do that. No, we're going to circle up and we're going to hold hands. And there's been some prayer meetings at our house. And I can think of the circumstances that were going on. And it wasn't good. But we're going to pray. And you're going to hear your daddy's heart, your mama's heart. Talk to God. Not, not in a routine way, but God, I'm pouring my heart out to you. I need you. 
God, you're real. And so you need, I believe, to pass on your faith. You need to pray together. I've said this before. I don't know of anything else that opens up your child's heart to God more than prayer. I'm not saying I was the greatest at it. But it's one of the things I think I sort of did right. And somehow God opens up the hearts of children when we pray. Number three. You writing this down? You ought to have tell your story or take a note. You can take notes on your phone if you want to. <laughs> tell your story. Pray together. Live out your faith. Number three is live out your faith. I believe you, your children need to see your faith lived out in action you can talk about it but it's more than talk they need to see when it comes down to it we don't just give lip service to God no we live out our convictions even when it is not convenient that's when they will know no, this is serious. I don't know. There's probably a lot of illustrations of this. I remember one time buying two cookie sheets at Walmart, and there were two stuck together, but she only scanned one. And when I got my, my receipt home, I noticed I'd only paid for one cookie sheet. It was $7.87, I'm sure. But I said something, and my kids were listening. And then what was Daddy going to do? Daddy was getting back in the car to drive back to Walmart, which was not the... And, you know, Walmart's a huge corporation. It's not like they're going to miss that $7.87, right? Except my kids know. Daddy, are you going to do the right thing? Anytime they see us talk about it but not live it, they know what really our convictions are. Kids intuitively know what your priorities are and your convictions are not by what you say but what you do and that's what I mean by live out your faith um, I wasn't raised by perfect parents oh newsflash neither were you <laughs> big newsflash neither are your kids gonna be <laughs> that's why they need God I knew where my parents' convictions were. I've said this a bunch of times. Some of you were raised like this. At the Ray Smith household, there was never a Sunday we ever woke up in all of those years I was home that any, either me or my sister or my brother ever asked the question, are we going to church today? That would have been the, the silliest question you could have ever asked. I didn't even know people got up and asked that question until I became a pastor. Quite honestly, it didn't matter whether we were at grandma's house or we were on vacation. It just didn't matter. My parents lived out their conviction. I knew church, and I, I didn't check their checkbooks, but I knew tithing. <laughs> because, as I've shared many times, when I made that first $5, mowing Mrs. Noble's yard, which was an acre, and it was this high with a push mower. I'd agreed to $5, and that's what I took. And my daddy said, no longer do you get the quarter that I give you on Sunday mornings. 
50 cents of that is God's because that is what the conviction of our household is. Live out your faith even when it isn't convenient. When your children hear you make excuses for things that you know are not in alignment with what God says is right, they will know where your true convictions are. Number four, and finally, walk with them. Walk with them. As you walk with God day by day, walk with your children as a spiritual influencer with them every day. One of the things that I saw in my parents was regardless of where we ever lived, where they ever lived, there was always a place beside a chair that had their Bible and their daily devotional. And I knew every morning, mom and dad spent time with God. I, I saw it. It was not a Sunday practice of religion. It was a day-by-day -day walk with God. Oh, this may be the hardest truth. And let me tell you just kind of what I mean by walk with them. You never know when your child is going to need you to be the spiritual influencer in their life. I think this is one of the hardest things. You never know when the crisis is going to come. Circumstance in the course of daily life that's going to come up and that you're going to need to be there to be the, the voice of God, quite honestly. And you know what the challenge of this is? For you to be prepared for those impromptu times, you have to be walking with God every moment because you don't know whether it's coming in the middle of the night or a call from the school or what it is. Quite honestly, this is, I, I live this, this is kind of sad, quite honestly. I think about this from the perspective of being a pastor. I'm a pastor 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. That's the reality. I have to be spiritually prepared for whatever comes up whenever it is. But you know, I realize that's the same for moms and dads and grandparents. And so many times, it's those times that we did not plan on that are the most pivotal times in their lives and we have to be walking with God so we don't miss those so that we can speak truth into their lives because they may not know and we have to be in God's word and in communion with him so when the circumstance comes along that God's spirit will say to us is their spiritual covering, this is what God would say to you. I don't know, I don't. There's probably illustrations, one, and then I'm, I'm done. I said I'd be through early today, and sure enough, I will be. I'm joking. I remember years ago, Hillary applying for a scholarship to A&M after she'd been admitted, and it was, uh, it was through a foundation. We went to Houston. She, she applied for it, 
and she got an invitation for an interview, and we were told that half the people that would um, interview would receive this scholarship, and it was a full ride to A&M. Huge. Wow, what a relief that would be. And um, she went, I remember she got all dressed up. We went down. They paid our expenses to travel. Ah, I mean, this was, this was a big deal. But about a week after we'd been, we got the letter in the mail, and the letter said no. And quite honestly, our initial response was just devastation. Oh, wouldn't that have been a great way for God to provide for education? Because I don't know if you know about Smith, there were three kids coming back behind her. You know, it's like, no, no, we're stacking up in college pretty soon. Um, and God said to me in that moment, and I said to my daughter, you know what, God didn't, that wasn't God's way. But apparently God wants to, instead of trusting in a full-ride scholarship, apparently God wants to teach us to trust him every day from here on out. And I can tell you, Hillary got out, and Byron got out, Hayden eventually got out, <laughs> Hannah got out. And I tell you, I don't even know financially, but someday Amy and I woke up and said, wait a second. We just put four kids through college. We haven't missed any meals. They haven't taken back our house or our cars yet. We came out the other side. But I remember when Hillary got through, I went back to that story. And I said, you remember. And I said, God's been faithful, hasn't he? And that would have been the easy way out. But apparently, God needed to teach us to trust him day by day. I don't need, I was about to say, I don't even know why that thought came to my mind, except I do know. Because as Hillary's daddy, I needed God to speak to my heart to say, Daddy, what does this mean? And I said, no, this is the truth that God, and so my last challenge is that we walk with them as we walk with God so that we can speak to their life whenever it is. Amen? Write the four things down. But more than that, live those out. And even more than that, what is it that God would say to you today as we've talked about these things? What does God want you to do? What is your response? God said, if you'll seek me, you'll live. You'll find life. All these other things are going to end. Amen? Amen. If you'll stand with me this morning. Brother Shane off guard. Father, we, uh, we thank you for today and we pray as we enter into this time that, Father, you'd speak to us maybe just about that one thing that you say, God, I, I know. Maybe it's something, Father, you've already convicted us of. I pray that we'd live it out. And, Father, it would be for your glory and we would experience your life in the fullness because of our response. We pray it in Jesus' name.
so we'll ask our ushers to come and then as I said earlier we have a special presentation from our own children as a tribute to our moms hey next Sunday we'll be recognizing our seniors uh, tomorrow I know it's produce day so appreciate you participating in that hey also tomorrow there will, Teresa Oliveris's memorial service will be at our church at 3 and some of you may not even know Teresa but came to our church I don't know, a year or two ago, and, um, and she's uh, passed away about a week and a half ago, but uh, wonderful lady, uh, love the Lord, and uh, her service will be tomorrow at 3, if you'll just make a note of that. So, uh, Brother Shane, would you come and lead us in prayer? Let's pray. Father, thank you today, uh, just once again, Lord, um, as we lift up our mothers today, just thank you for the blessings on our lives that uh, each and every one of them are, and, and Lord, we just, um, Lord, we just uh, thank you for those that can be here this morning and those that can't. Uh, Lord, thank you for the message we heard. Um, Lord, help us to uh, live it out every day, Lord, passing it on, and just thank you for Brother Darrell uh, and his leadership. Lord, I just ask you to bless this offering we're about to receive. Uh, help us to use it wisely and to further your kingdom. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Mallory. Oh, Francisca. Katie, Miss Jessica Jackson, Elizabeth, Antoine, Ashley Elizabeth Shaw, Christy, Elizabeth, Jessica, Sarah. My mom's name is Tony, and it's but it's spelled Tanya.
washed the dishes, cleaned up, cleaned up the house. She takes me to school. When we first wake up, she just sleeps for a while. Um, she, okay. She sits in her chair and wants some TV to be a little bit lazy. Um, put her makeup on and stuff. Go to work. Cook. Sweeps. Chinese place, um, Target, the Mexican food place trap, by the church, Chick-fil-A, Dollar Store, Casa <laughs> We like to have a picnic because of our hair, because we have the same hair. Because we both like Chinese places. We both kind of like the same place when we're mad. We're both girls. We have the same colored eyes. We look alike. She looks like me. Wait, we're not the same, we're different. Because we have the same hair. I love my mom and she loves me. He loves me so much. He loves me more than my heart. Um, because she washes my clothes for me and she says nice things to me. Happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day. 